Good morning, everybody doing okay? You guys good? Good. All right, hey, I want to tell you guys thank you for being patient with us in the whole uh, parking situation. I guess it's a good problem to have at a church. We're just, uh, we're getting, getting tight, if you don't notice that um, right now in the room. And uh, we don't have a ton of parking, so uh, thank you guys. We're just trying to do our best to use all the different areas around us. And this is a true story. So we just bought a couple of, of 15 passenger bus things and we got them really cheap because we're pretty cheap around here because we don't have a lot of money. So um, we bought a couple of buses. This is a true story. We would sit in our leadership meetings on Monday and we're trying to brainstorm what do we do and do we just need to buy a bunch of buses? And I had the idea, because if you get on Facebook Marketplace, that old used limousines are actually quite a bit cheaper. It's true. And so I'm like, you know, we're in our meeting and I'm on Facebook Marketplace. And I'm like, man, we can get a 12 passenger like stretch limo for like six grand, guys. What are we doing? And then level heads prevailed and it probably wouldn't look good if a, if a big church had a fleet of limousines. <laughs> yeah. You know, someone would, you know, I'm sure a rumor would get started that that's how I get to church in the morning or something crazy like that. And that's not true. Uh, I chauffeur myself in my, you know, almost 20 year old Toyota. But, um, Anyways, so no limousines, I'm sorry. I just thought it would be awesome to pick you guys up in the different parking lots and have like sparkling um, grape juice in there or something and you roll into the chair. Hey, maybe one day. Okay, so we are finishing up <clears throat> the book of Second Peter. If you've never been here before, this is what we do. We, we take a different book of the Bible uh, we work through it line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, until we're done with it. And that's what we've done for the last 13 years. We've done about half the Bible so far. And so by the time I retire, we will have done the entire Bible, maybe, I don't know. So where we're at right now is a very short book of the Bible. This was a letter written from Peter. Peter wrote two letters to a group of churches in what we would call modern day Turkey, right? The Bible calls it Asia Minor. And so Peter wrote these letters and he wrote them for, for two reasons. The first letter was predominantly focusing on the persecution of the church. When he wrote the first letter about 64, 65 AD, there was extreme persecution from the Roman empire against Christians. In fact, the Roman empire would eventually take Paul's life, Peter's life, and a ton of other uh, uh, believers. And, and so during this massive persecution, Peter wrote a letter saying to the church, be encouraged. Even if you give your life, right? Stick to your faith, stick with it. God's gonna take care of you. If not in this life, in eternity, you're gonna be taken care of, okay? That was what the first letter was about. The second letter that we're about to wrap up was more focused on false teachers. So the first one, you're gonna be persecuted. The second one is basically you're gonna be tempted to give up on your faith by these people that just kind of tell you what you want to hear, right? They manipulate the idea of God. Maybe they tell you there is no God. And, and so he warns them of false teaching. This is what Greg talked about last week. In the second chapter of Second Peter, uh, it's a very aggressive chapter. Peter is, is mad and he's mad about all the false teachers that are starting to infiltrate the Christian movement. And so what we talked about last week, what Greg taught on, was that if we don't know the Bible, if we do not know the truth that is contained in this word, we will fall for false teaching because we don't know what is true and false. Very, very simple, very logical. What we're gonna talk about this week, and we're gonna have to go through some, some pretty heavy, meaty stuff to get there, but we're gonna talk about very, very simple, something very, very simple, that, that God is waiting on us. God is patiently and eagerly waiting for all people. It doesn't mean all people will do it, but God is patiently and eagerly waiting on all of us, every human, to, to submit and give their life to him, to give their heart to him, okay? So we're gonna talk a little bit this morning about eschatology, which means the end times. And then we're gonna briefly talk about that and then we'll end on this idea of God waiting for us, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you come in. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, if you don't have that, why not, right? It's pretty awesome. If you do have it, just click on sermon notes. Everything is right there. If you have a Bible, 2 Peter is a couple of books after the book of James. So James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter will be in chapter three. We'll uh, get through it relatively quick and I think you'll 
you'll find it interesting, okay? So let's pray. We'll dive into this and, and see where the Lord takes us, okay? Glad to see you guys this morning. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for everyone in this room, Lord, who um, is giving up a chunk of their week, Lord, to come in to, to worship, to hear the word of God. Father, I pray that you bless this church this morning. And not just this church, Father, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and all the churches in those cities, God. Lord, we pray for the nonprofits we work with, and we pray that they, they continue to bless the city, and, and Lord, that our finances can be a part of that. And Father, we just pray this morning that as we study your word, that, that not only are we brought closer to you and, and made more in your image, God, but we pray that everything we do this, this morning, that it honors you and that it blesses you, God, and grows your kingdom. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all this in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first part's a little bit longer. I'll get through that, and the next two parts are a little bit shorter, okay? This is chapter three. This is Peter writing. He says, dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, that means they died, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. And through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his promises as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So like I said, the majority of the end of what we're, what we're talking about, this letter, 2 Peter, the majority of the end of it is about the end times, right? About Jesus coming back. And if we understand that Jesus is gonna come back one day, we should understand that we have to live differently until he returns. We should live differently until Jesus returns for two reasons. One, if you're in this room this morning and you claim to be a Christian, when we claim to be a Christian, we are claiming that we love Jesus more than anything else. So, so here's the thing. If I say I love Jesus more than anything else, but I do things in rebellion or do things that he doesn't approve of, I probably don't love him as much as I claim to love him. So I should want to live in preparation for his return because I love him. The second reason we are to live deliberately until Jesus comes back is that when Jesus returns, he will either reward those who have been obedient to him or he will punish those who have been rebellious to him. So the way that we know how to live and the encouragement we need comes from the fact that we remember what was previously spoken. Peter says, remember what the prophets said, remember what Jesus said, and then he says, remember what the apostles said. That encapsulates the entire Bible. And we have to remember the instruction of the Bible, remember the encouragement of the Bible, because if we just hold on to the truth that is in the word of God, we don't have to worry about being led astray by things that are false. We have to be tethered and anchored to this. And guys, if we're just gonna talk real today, in no other time in human history has there been such a, a plethora of information thrown at us all the time. So if we're not grounded to the truth of the word of God, man, there is so many voices and so much noise coming at us all the time. We have to hold on to this because if we don't, we will be led astray and that will lead to destruction now 
and it will lead to eternal separation from God, which, which is hell. And so as we cling on to the word of God, as we hold on to the truth, as we continue to build a relationship with God, another thing that Peter brings up is we have to know that there will be people who will scoff at us. They will make fun of us. Jesus made this clear, right, in the Gospels, that there will be people who will even hate you because of your faith. Peter echoes the same thing that Jesus taught us, that there will be people who will make fun of the idea of God. And here's the thing. Even inside of Christianity, there are some Christians who will make fun of other Christians because we talk about things like the second coming of Christ. Now listen, let me preface this. We don't wanna be weirdos, right? Every time the moon is like a hue of orange, that doesn't mean Jesus is coming back in 48 hours, right? That, that's not what that means. There are certain environmental things that sometimes make the, the moon look different. And, and I'm not trying to be mean, but like there are some people who, who, who are just always on edge. The point of, of books of the Bible like Daniel and Revelation is not for us to pinpoint an exact time. It's just for us to be ready for whenever Jesus comes back. And if we're ready, you don't have to be worried about the shade of the moon next Thursday, right? Like, just, just live in preparation for his return. But what can happen is, because Jesus hasn't come back, and I don't know if anyone else in the room is becoming one of those Lord come quickly people, I am. I have two daughters, and I'm like, God, before they start dating, please, please return. So, <laughs> and the world's crazy. But there is this perceived delay. But, but the, the thing is, is though it looks like, you know, God may not come back for a long time, we don't, we don't have forever. Even if Jesus doesn't return for another 500 years, you're not going to live that long. You may live to 78, maybe if you're really good and you outkick the mortality rate by a decade, you might live to be 88 or 90, but we all have a limited amount of time, so we don't have forever to get our spiritual affairs in order. But the reason people often scoff at the idea of God, the reason why you will, you will be ridiculed for the idea of God is because people do not want anything in their life that tells them that they have to live any other way than how they choose. So here's the thing. In America, we're doing this. This is why the largest demographic of people in the United States are non-believers, because we live in a culture right now that says we can create our own reality, we can live however we wanna live, no one can tell me what to do. And the only way to live like that is we have to eliminate the authority that is above us, and that's God. So that's why people don't believe in God, because if we believe in a God, then that means that there is a standard by which we have to live, and it's not our standard. The greater problem than even a disbelief or belief in God, though, is that we are recklessly pursuing ourselves. We are destroying ourselves by constantly pursuing what we want over everything else. Guys, there's this, this, this radical escalation right now in our society. And, and I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be mean right now, but there's even a group of people who are called trans amputees. You ever heard of this? People who are born, they say that they identify as someone who, who only has one arm and they have two. So they're traveling to third world countries to get appendages removed off their body. This is going on right now in the world and we are pursuing this, this reckless desire of self so much that we're, we're literally destroying ourselves, not to mention the mental and emotional damage of such extremes, but that's where we're going. But here's the thing. When we're constantly just looking at ourselves, it's impossible to see the truth. When we're constantly looking at ourselves, it's impossible to see God. When we're constantly looking at ourselves, we get cynical about everyone else because they're not affirming what we always want. So we have to take our eyes off ourselves. The problem is, as Peter says, they deliberately overlook the truth. Despite the fact that God has judged planet Earth before, the days of Noah, right? He wiped out almost all of humanity by a flood. Despite the clear expectations of the Bible and the Bible telling us what's going to happen when Jesus returns, there are not only false teachers, there are people who buy into false teaching and they willingly ignore the truth. But willingly ignoring the truth will not stop the, the truth happening and from, for, from God returning and holding us accountable. Here's the thing in the United States, there is not going to be anyone in the United States who is going to have any excuse of not following Jesus Christ when they stand in front of him. 
We have lived in the most free, prosperous, and we have had access to all information, including the Bible, all of us, our entire lives. So even if someone says, well, my friend never heard the Bible, so how can God judge them? But your friend has had every opportunity to seek the truth, and they willingly did not do that. And they're going to be held accountable for that. Just because we bury our heads in the sand doesn't mean that things aren't going to keep going on around us and we're going to be held accountable by God's standards. So we have to deliberately look for the truth and we need to make sure that we do not overlook the word of God and we need to make sure that we do not overlook the love that God has for us. So it says, Peter says, that a day to us is like a thousand years to God. That's often taken way out of context. All that simply means is that God is outside of space and time. And so what that means is when we stress out in the moment, and I'm very guilty of that, and when we don't trust God, and we, things maybe don't happen as quickly as, they, as we would like them to, or, or, or however it shakes out, we have to step back and say God loves us, and he sees time from a distance, and he knows. Maybe we didn't get this here because he has something better for us here. And so we have to trust that he loves us, not overlook that. Trust in his timing. And so even when that comes to the big thing of him returning, even though I see the world and it looks crazy and, I'm, and, and sometimes it's scary to let your daughters grow up in such a world as nuts as this, right? I have to trust that God knows what he's doing and he will return when he thinks it's best to return. I have to trust that. But here is why he hasn't returned yet. And this is deep and it's heavy, but it's very, very important. Listen, the reason why you have blood in your body right now, breath in your lungs, the reason why Jesus Christ has not split the eastern sky and returned for us is because he does not want any of us to be eternally separated from him. So what Jesus is doing in his infinite love and compassion for us is he is giving humanity every opportunity to come to their senses, seek his forgiveness, and give their hearts to him. It says, God is patient with us, not wanting any to perish. So let me address some bad theology with that too. Sometimes Christian go, Christians will say things like, man, God's will always comes to fruition. God's will always happens. Not true. It is God's will that no one go to hell. But because we have free will, some will choose that path. We are freely offered salvation, but we must be remorseful about evil. We must want to get away from evil. We must feel disgusted by evil and be willing to walk away with it and have a relationship with him. And though God wants that from all of us, all of us, there will be some people who will reject that invitation, okay? And to those who reject that invitation, the second coming of Jesus, it says, will be like a thief in the night. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its return. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire, the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay, so when it says the, the, the day of the Lord, whenever you read in the scriptures and it says the day of the Lord, that means the second coming of Jesus. That means the, the end of time as we know it. So what's going to happen is this. Though God is patient, though God's will is not for any to be separated from him to go to hell, eventually his patience is going to wear out. What that means is this, as a good loving father, God is going to look down and he's going to see just how mistreated his people are and one day he's gonna say, it's enough, we're done. And he is going to come back, he is going to expose the evil in the world and he will judge the evil in the world. Now listen, if you are a Christian and you have a relationship with Jesus, you're not gonna be shocked by this. Uh, you're not gonna know the exact day, but the Bible says we will know the season, right? So we will not know exactly when Jesus returns, but when he returns, we're not gonna be afraid. 
We're not going to be shocked. We're, we're going to be prepared for that. But if you have not had a relationship with Jesus, it's going to come like a thief in the night. And it's going to catch those people off guard. And at that point, it will be too late. Let me tell you how good God is, though. And a lot of people, when they read the book of Revelation, they're like, whoa, this is pretty intense. It is pretty intense. But in chapters 16 through 19 of the book of Revelation, and, and Peter briefly mentions it here, that the universe and the earth will be dissolved, right? It actually talks about this in Revelation 16 through 19, which was written about 25 years after Peter wrote this letter. But John writes in Revelation that there will literally be cosmic disturbances before Jesus comes back. The earth will be shaken. There will be cosmic disturbances in the universe. And the reason why God goes to those great lengths in chapter 16 through 19 of Revelation is this is God's last ditch effort to get those who do not love him to repent for their sins and to give their lives to him. So God in his grace and mercy will shake the universe and shake the earth in hopes that people will turn their lives over to him before he comes back. This will be the last ditch effort of God. And then what Peter said, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. It talks about this in Revelation chapter 21, that Jesus will judge all things. He will completely undo all of creation, all the heavens, that's the universe and earth, and he will create a new heavens and a new earth. And that's where we will dwell with him forever. Now listen, knowing about this should shape our character. It should change how we live. Knowing that God loves us and will one day return to hold evil into account should make it clear, Peter writes, what sort of people we should be in conduct and godliness. Now both of those words are written in a plural form, which means we don't just do them once. We don't just pray for the Lord to come into our heart once and live like hell thinking that we're okay, but we are to be constantly living with godliness and good conduct until he returns. That means that if we give our life to Jesus, how we think, how we speak, how we act, how we behave changes, and they should change more and more the closer we get to God. The point is this, if we do not change these things, right? If we think that we can give our life to Jesus and hide some secret sin away, the unfortunate fact is that all of these things will be exposed. If God loves us, if God is patiently waiting for us, and if he is coming back to hold us, into accountable, hold us accountable, it would be wise for us right now to be honest, not just with God, but with each other. This is simple. And listen, let me tell you this. I know some of you have been hurt by churches. You are sitting in the least judgmental church on planet earth, right? You can confess anything in this place and people will love you and they will be gracious with you and they will put their arm around you. You're in a, a safe environment to confess sin. We have to be honest and we have to be repentant because here's the thing. Jesus will 100% dissolve our facades. And if there is one word that describes America in 2022, it is facades. We are masters of facades, right? Every time I get on Facebook, I'm like, how in the world is everyone on vacation all the time except for me? Why does everyone's breakfast look better than mine, right? You know, how is it that people are just walking down the street laughing and someone snaps a picture and that's their profile? Like, how is everyone's lives so easy except for mine? They're not. That's bull crap. That's a facade. Like, I know you have a second chin. I have one too. That's why we take certain angles and... Because we're trying to present something that's, that's not 100% real. I made this joke last night we should start a movement of honest profile pictures. <laughs> I, we probably shouldn't do that, but anyways. The point is this though, we can fool everyone around us that we wake up at five o'clock and you know, make a bagel and read our Bible and journal for two hours every morning. We can, we can, tell, we can sell this to everyone. God sees the real us. So I'm just gonna tell you, it would just, it would just behoove you to be honest. And it would, it would, it would be 
It would be good for us not only to confess to each other, to repent, and to put our trust and hope in something bigger than our own achievements. Our problem is we are so addicted to the affirmation of man that we have created a facade and God's looking at us just going, man, I know the real you, just be the real you. Be honest, be repentant, confess. Because here's the thing, if we want to live in an eternity where righteousness dwells, we have to prepare ourselves to live in a place where righteousness dwells, which means we have to be righteous. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that we have the desire to be as close to God as possible. So here's the thing, we're gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna make mistakes, but we must have a desire to live holy. Why? Because the Bible says, be holy as I am holy, as he is holy. So here's the thing, sin should bother us. As Christians, sin should disturb us. It should upset us. And I am so bothered that so many Christians make an excuse for sin versus feeling remorseful for sin. Not only should we feel remorseful for sin, we should take every step we can to get away from sin. And though we will still occasionally make mistakes, that's where God's grace comes in, right? So we need to get away from sin. We need to be remorseful when we make a mistake. And we need to know that God is quick to forgive, right? And quick to restore. And that we are to prepare in righteousness so we can dwell forever with God in righteousness. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. Paul speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable, look, look at this, will twist them to their own destruction as they do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So people always get upset, it is inevitable, right? It's like a triggering word for Christians when you say that you are to make an effort as a Christian. So I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, the, these little things at the beginning and end of some of these sentences, the, there's are quotation marks, which means I didn't write that. This is straight from Peter, right? And then Peter refers to Paul, so after Peter writes some, about some pretty heavy stuff, the universe being dissolved, the earth being dissolved, he implores the reader to diligently apply themselves to the process of their salvation, right? To work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's that work. We don't, we don't like that word much. So though we will not be perfect, we are called, as Peter says, to make every effort to be found without blemish. That means without sin. By living out our faith and living obediently to the word of God. Corey, are you saying we have to work at our faith? Yes. You're not saved by that work, but you are saved in order to work for the kingdom of God. How often we take grace and the writings of Paul, which he's going to get to here in a second, how often we take them way out of context. But Corey, we're saved by grace through faith. Keep on reading the chapter. You are saved by grace through faith unto good works. You cannot cut off the passage just because you wanna be lazy in your faith. We are saved to do something, not to sit around statically and abuse the grace of God. So Peter even points to Paul. I love what Peter does here. Peter goes, look, I'm telling you, you need to live godly and the way you live matters. And if you don't believe me, Paul said the same thing. That if you claim to be saved, there should be evidence of that salvation. And so Peter says a lot of false teachers are taking the words of Paul and twisting them to justify their sinful lifestyles. This is the American church. We use grace as an excuse to do evil things 
all the dang time. We do it all the time. People come, this is, this is true. I'm not even exaggerating these kinds of stories. There, there will be a woman who comes up to me and it's not anyone in particular, but this has happened several times over the last 13 years. There'll be a grandmother who will say, hey, can you pray for my grandson? They're, you know, they're in jail for selling, selling heroin and, and domestic assault and they have neglected their children. And can you pray for him? I'm not worried about his salvation, but can you please pray for him? And I'm like, you should be worried. You should be exceptionally worried, right? And what we have done is we have twisted this, this idea that I said a prayer once when I'm 12, right? And I can live like hell until Jesus comes back expecting to avoid any consequences. And this is not biblical. People say, well, Corey, grace upon grace. Paul wrote that, right? He also wrote, should we sin more that grace abounds? No. Paul said, no. We don't sin more so we can talk about how good grace is, right? So I have a gracious wife. That doesn't mean that I neglect my relationship with her or go around with other women just because my wife is a forgiving person. Why do we do that to our heavenly husband? This is dangerous. It's dangerous because quite frankly, there's a lot of Christians in the United States who are walking around with a very false sense of security in their, in their, in their salvation. If you just, we're just talking truth here today. Look, I'm just gonna quote to you the Bible. I'm sorry when the Bible messes with our theology, but Peter said this, People who are untaught and unstable in their knowledge of the word of God can fall from their own stable position. Now, this is when the theological swords come out in church, right? Well, this guy in the 15th century said this. Here's the thing. Whether you think you can lose your salvation, it's Arminianism, whether you think you cannot lose your salvation, Calvinism, whether you think you can forfeit it, or whether you think people just never had it in the first place, it's a moot point. The point is this. If you are producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit and living in accordance with the Bible, you're good. You got nothing to worry about, right? I'm, hold on. I am fascinated by Christians who keep constantly asking the question if they can lose their salvation. Walk up to your spouse and go, do you think I could do anything that would make you divorce me? Your first thought as a spouse is, what are you doing? So if we're saying, God, can I lose my salvation? What sin are you trying to get away with and still go to heaven? It's a moot point. If we are living for God, you got nothing to worry about. If you're producing the fruit that the Bible tells us to produce, you got nothing to worry about. If you're not, there's a problem. There is a problem. Wherever you land theologically, there is a problem if you are not acting in accordance with the word of God and the commands of Jesus. Because the truth is this, the real Christian never sits still. We always move forward. No real Christian thinks that they've arrived. True Christianity is continual growth. We call this sanctification. When we're saved, we're justified, right? We're saved. And then we go through the sanctification process where we grow more in our understanding and love of God and we grow more in our understanding of love of people. And that's why he said continually grow in grace and knowledge because we're not designed to sit still. God doesn't save us just to be lazy, just to be apathetic that we are to go through the sanctification process, right? To be set apart by God, to become more like God. And we're not meant to do that alone. We lean on his grace to get us through that process, right? The problem is this. I said this earlier. We live in a culture right now to where you have talking heads around you all the time. If you turn on the radio, on talk radio or NPR, or if you turn on cable news, if you anywhere, even if there's so much agenda, right? In everything around you all the time. I didn't say this at the other two services. You guys seen that new movie on Peacock starring Kevin Bacon about a conservative Christian pastor who hunts down gay people and kills them? No agenda there, right? Anyways, I've never heard of a story of a conservative pastor doing such a thing, but they're making movies about it. Anyways, there is so much, so much stuff coming at you guys all the time. And if we are not grounded to this, it is very hard to distinguish what those lies are. The first big lie though that our society is telling us right now, and this is why the largest group of demographic of people right now in the United States are non-believers, is because we are told the lie that there is no authority above us. That we are it, right? There is no God, there is no authority above you. And that our lives are exclusively ours. Christian, don't say, I gotta be careful there. 
don't use the phraseology that, that, that I belong to me because you don't. The Bible says you were bought for a price and you do not belong to you. That, that's in this book. It's a lie to believe that our lives are exclusively ours to do whatever we want with. That's not true. Another lie in our society and our culture is this, that if there is a God, there are multiple pathways to that God. There are multiple pathways to heaven, right? Or nirvana or the Elysian fields or whatever kind of afterlife that people talk about. And, and as a Christian, we have to understand that that's not true. And I'm not trying to be offensive here. Jesus said, one cannot call themselves a Christian and think that there are multiple pathways to heaven or multiple pathways to God. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way. There is no other path except through me. So to claim Christianity and to believe in universalism is anti-Bible. It's a lie. Another lie you hear all the time in society and our culture is that truth is relative. That you can have your truth, I can have my truth. It's personal, it's interchangeable, it's relative to my situation. Here's the thing about truth. I, I don't care about your truth, you shouldn't care about my truth. We should just care about truth, the truth. That's what we should be focused on. But we live in a society to where we believe our feelings and our heart dictates what is true to us. And the Bible says in Jeremiah, that's very deceptive. Your heart is deceptive, your feelings are deceptive. If you're a man in here and you just followed your feelings all the time, you'd probably have already been sent to jail for beating someone up or hitting someone that looked at your wife or whatever the case may be. If you're a woman in here and you just followed your feelings all the time, you may get suckered into all that attention that that uh, not nice guy at work keeps giving you even though you're married, right? And if you follow your feelings, you're gonna have an affair. You're gonna do something that's stupid. We don't follow our feelings because our feelings can be deceptive. It's a lie. Not only are there lies from outside of the church, listen, there are lies inside the church. One of the lies that we hear in the church in the United States is that grace gives us an excuse to live in sin, and it doesn't. Again, you're not gonna be perfect, but we should feel remorseful about sin, and we should not live in sinful lifestyles, which means we perpetually and consistently do the same thing over and over and over again. We should stop this. And that leads to the second lie that we often hear in the church, that you cannot be set free. Romans chapter six says you are free from sin's claims, that we don't have to live in that bondage. What in the heck is the point in following Christ if we can't be set free from what shackles us? We're told lies in the church that we can't be holy. And that's, that's not true because the Bible says be holy is God is holy. We are told that we cannot be obedient. There's no way you can follow all these commands. I beg to differ. Doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes, but we have to feel remorse for that sin and God is quick to forgive. Another lie that is being told in the church in the United States, I'm sure in other places too, but a lot in the United States, is that we can pick and choose what scripture we want to follow in this book and what version of Jesus we want to follow. And that's not the way it works. Just because I read something that disagrees with how I'm living my life, I'm wrong and the Bible is correct. The Bible doesn't change and the truth doesn't change and God doesn't change. Is that not the height of arrogance, right? To say, God, you know, I know you're the creator of the entire universe and everyone that's ever existed, but uh, I don't like it this way, can you change it? Paul wrote about this. How dare the clay look up to the potter and be like, hey, what are you doing? I'm forming you however the heck I want. That's what I'm doing, right? So it is, it is a lie that is in, within the church that we can neglect certain parts of the word and focus on others. Another lie that we are being told is that we have all the time we want to get our spiritual lives in order. I love you too much than, than to lie to you like that. We have got to be thinking about eternity now. Listen, because the Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. Jesus said that. You are not promised tomorrow. So even if you do live to be 88 or 90 years old, right? All of us have a, have a finite amount of time to dedicate ourselves to God. We don't have forever to think about this. These are lies. And the truth is this, to love Jesus is to walk in obedience to Jesus. Corey, where do you get that from? Straight from Jesus's mouth. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Man, I love Jesus more than anything. You know, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend all the time, but I really love Jesus. You don't. Well, how can you say that? 
I didn't, Jesus did. Jesus said you don't love him. If you know what's right and choose to do what's wrong, you don't love him. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And now that offends people when I say stuff like that. And again, I'm so sorry that Jesus is messing with our theology, but, but we have to follow the words of Christ. It is the truth. To love Jesus is to live in obedience to him. And to, to follow, if I call myself a Christ follower, I am following after pure righteousness, which means I should be becoming more righteous the closer I get to him. This is the truth. We must be pursuing righteousness. The other hard truth is, is that we will be held accountable. For, we will be held accountable. You and I, if you come to church every week and you hear me say these things, and I'm not trying to be a jerk or, or condemning, that's not what I'm trying to do. But if you hear the things we talk about in this room and then do not act on them, you'll be held accountable for that. You have the knowledge of what was right and wrong. L let me tell you this. In the United States, where we have access to you know, a million different versions of the Bible, you can get it on your phone, you can watch, you know, listen to podcasts about it and watch it drawn out on maps on YouTube, all this stuff, right? No one's gonna have an excuse. We have access, so much access to the word of God and we will be held accountable for our, our, our willing ignorance to the knowledge we could have had. That's the truth. Listen, the truth is this. There's a lot of people that have a false sense of security about their salvation. I'm being serious. There's a lot of people, especially in the South. Oh, I know who God is. The demons in hell know who God is, James said. Doesn't mean they're saved. We have to know him in an intimate relationship kind of way. You have to have a relationship with Jesus to be saved. And there's a lot of people. Well, you know, I said a prayer to middle school camp when I was 11 years old. Well, something didn't take then because you haven't lived in accordance with the scripture since then. There's a problem there, right? And again, quoting, quoting old Jesus again, a tree will be known by its fruit. Man, there's a, there's a parable. It's not a parable, I'm sorry. There's, there's multiple parables about fruit and not producing. That's in John chapter 15. But there's a story of Jesus walking with his disciples one time. He's walking with his disciples. I wish we could have seen the face of the disciples when Jesus did just crazy stuff like this. But he's walking with the disciples one day and he stops and there's a fig tree on the side of the road. You guys remember the story, some of you? Walks over to the fig tree and if you see a fig tree, there's actually one on the, on the edge of my yard. There'll be these big leaves so you can't see the fruit. You have to lift up, isn't this amazing? You have to lift up kind of the facade to see what's being produced on the tree. So Jesus walks up to the tree, lifts up the leaf, no fruit. You know what he does? Curses the tree, it withers away and dies. The disciples are probably just like, what the heck was that, right? But what Jesus was doing was giving them a visible display of this principle that a tree will be known by its fruit. If it produces no fruit, it is, it is of no use. We will be known by our fruit. I'm a Christian, show us that the evidence of that, right? James said, you can tell me you have faith. I will show you my faith by how I live, by my works, he said, okay? That's the truth. The truth is, is that all things will eventually be revealed. I love you guys, and we're just talking real today. To be a Christian and to have that secret sin that we think we can manage, it's gonna come to the light one day. It's gonna get you. And, if, and if, even if you hide it your entire life, God sees it. And I'm not trying to scare you. I love you. So what that means is this. We need to be honest. You need to confess that to someone. Now listen, humans cannot forgive your sin, but the Bible says to confess our faults one to another. There's something liberating about saying, look, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with greed. I'm struggling with hate. I'm struggling with, with lust. I'm struggling with whatever it is, right? I, I'm struggling, I, I lie, I, I do these things to confess that and get it out. And then we must repent and God is quick to forgive. He's quick to forgive, he loves us. It says in the Old Testament, when he forgives us, he separates us from our sin as far as the East is from the West. He loves us, that he buries our sin in the deep sea, it says in the Old Testament. He loves us, he's quick to forgive, but we have to be humble enough to ask for God's forgiveness. And here's the thing, 
God will only deal with evil so long and eventually his patience is gonna run out. Is he patient? Yes. Is he slow to wrath? Yes. But one day he's gonna reach his point. So here's the other thing. The truth is, is as a Christian, you are not called to manage sin. You are called to be delivered from it. Uh-oh, wait a second. You're saying I'm supposed to live a certain way? Yes, I am. The Bible all throughout the New Testament tells us this. Again, Romans chapter six. I always go back and refer to it if you wanna read it. That doesn't mean you will not make mistakes. But as we grow closer to Jesus, quite frankly, those mistakes should be less and less frequent. We should be becoming more and more like Christ as time goes on. And I'm just gonna tell you straight up, as a guy who used to be addicted to crack cocaine, you can be delivered of not just physical addictions, you can be, a, you can be uh, uh, delivered of porn, uh, porn addiction, sex addiction, you can be delivered of hateful thoughts, you can be delivered. I don't know what the point of worshiping Jesus Christ is if we don't believe that he can change us. And I'm so tired of the church, not you guys, because you're a great church. I'm so tired of Christianity in the United States making excuses to live in the exact same crap that we lived in before we knew Jesus. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. And we're not called to be perfect, but we are called to be sanctified, which means we are constantly being refined. And so the truth is that you and I need Jesus every single day which means we have to make every effort. You mean I have to try at it? Yes. You have to deliberately make time to read your Bible, right? You have to deliberately take time to pray. Church has to be a priority in your life. Community has to be a priority. We do have to make an effort to grow. If you're married in this room, a marriage takes effort, right, on both sides. Well, Jesus has already put forth all the effort, right? And he's just waiting for us, patiently waiting for us to get to know him more, to live accordance with his commands, accordance with his principles. And so the truth is this, is that God loves you. It says in James that he stands at the door and knocks and he is patiently waiting for us. Here's the effort part. He is patiently waiting for us to get up and just open the door and invite him in. And it says in James that he will come in and he will eat supper with us, which basically means he'll get to, we'll get to know each other and we'll build this relationship. He loves us immensely. And it is not God's desire that anyone in this room or any human that's ever been created to go to hell. It is not God's desire that anyone be separated from him for eternity. God does not want that for you. When it says in Peter that all people, all people, that means regardless of how awful you have been, God still wants your heart. And I'll say it again. The reason why we have not been, uh, uh, the reason why Christ has not come back, the reason why you're sitting in this room breathing right now is because God is wanting more of you. Whether that means you haven't given your life to Jesus at all, or whether that means that you've become apathetic or stagnant in your faith, God has a desire to be with you more. Listen, it would be absolutely illogical and irrational for the creator of the universe to make us the only thing in the universe in his image to send his only son to die for our mistakes. It would be completely illogical that God would do all that if he didn't love you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to set you free. He wants you to grow in righteousness. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have contentment. He wants you to be able to hold on to the truth until he returns and we can dwell with him forever in perfect righteousness, in a beautiful, perfect place. He loves you. But the truth is, is we don't have forever to love him back. We've got to make a decision and we've got to act on that decision. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you're, if you're in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, maybe you're atheistic, maybe you're agnostic, maybe you're, you're just looking, right? Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is at the corner of the stage, okay? If maybe you're brand new to the faith and you've decided to follow Jesus, but you got a lot of questions, 
Same thing, you can come up here and talk to Pastor Mike, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, and, and, and is your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen, if you are struggling with something, if you wanna come up here and just confess to someone and say, look, I'm struggling with this, can you pray with me? I'm telling you, there will be no judgment. They will love you. They will lay hands on you and pray for you. They'll walk with you. You got nothing to worry about. But if you need prayer for anything, there's men and women up here at the front to pray with you, okay? The last thing is, all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, and in the center, in the first four posts here in the center, there's disposable communion. That represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The bread and wine represents the body and blood of Jesus. What communion is, is a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That he loves you. That it is not God's desire, it is not his will for any of you to be separated from him. It is not God's desire that any go to hell, but that all come to repentance and be with him. That's what he wants. I don't care what you have done in this room. God wants you. He loves you. He desires to be with you. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, okay? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, guys, I love you. I love you so much. Hold on to the truth. Hold on to the word of God. Build a relationship with Jesus. Don't overthink it. Every morning when you wake up, pray for a couple of minutes. Every night before you go to bed, pray with your family, pray with your kids. Start off with maybe just a couple of times a week reading a couple of chapters of the Bible. Don't overthink it, just be consistent with it. And God will grow that relationship with you and you'll be better for it here and forever. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, keep your hand on all of us, God. We need you, we desperately need you, Lord. There's so much confusion right now. God, protect us, keep us safe, Lord. Let us know and understand that you love us, God, and let us live in that love, Lord. Let us be obedient to your word and let us grow in our relationship with you. Father, keep your hand on us, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself.